Turn, if you would, to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. It is, in fact, sheer coincidence that we all ended up on the 13th chapter of the book of Romans today. I don't know what Ted's going to preach about. Uh, I hope I don't contradict him too much. Something. About six weeks ago, we started the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, which is the beginning of the application portion of the book of Romans. As we've said before, Paul typically in his letters will split them down the middle. There'll be half of it on doctrine, half of it on what to do about it. Well, the split in Romans isn't a really half. It's about two-thirds and one-third. But starting in chapter 12, we begin the application portion of it. So we spent a week talking about the first couple of verses, about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we talked about spiritual gifts. We talked about the fact that we are a body. We need each other in order to become what Christ wants us to be. And then we spent about four or five weeks going through a long list of commands that is the bulk of chapter 12. Don't let your love be filled with hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. And we ended up last week with what? Well, as much as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. It's the acknowledgement that you can't do it all the time. But as much as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. We talked about dealing with your friends. We talked about dealing with your enemies. We talked about the fact that you as an individual... You as an individual are to return good for evil. When somebody strikes you, you respond, well, it says, feed your enemy, give them something to drink, meet their needs. That is your responsibility as a Christian individual. Does that mean that if there is injustice in the world, you cannot strike back? Yes, that's what chapter 12 means. But that doesn't mean the guilty are not punished. We acknowledge the fact that God ultimately will take care of the justice in this world. Chapter 13, though, is going to deal with how we maintain justice in our world, and we do that through the authorities that God has appointed. Yes, indeed, we're going to talk about government. I kind of worry when I have people too eager to get to a lesson. (laughs) I've had numerous people asking me, when are we going to get to chapter 13? Which is generally followed with the question, what about the American Revolution? Why? Because chapter 13 is going to tell us that God has appointed authorities and that to rebel against those authorities is to rebel against God. And you and I are going to have trouble with that passage. In this passage, there's really three separate lessons. There's really only two, but you want there to be a third one. There is going to be a lesson about what are your responsibilities as a member of a society, as someone who is under authority. And for those of you who have to leave, I'll tell you the answer. You are to submit, 
You are to give honor and you're to pay your taxes. (laughs) It's a good thing it's not April. Then it's going to talk about the responsibilities of the government. What is the government supposed to do? And that is restrain evil. It is to praise that which is good, and it is to restrain evil. We've had lots of discussions in here about God's common grace that he has bestowed on all of humanity. And one of those aspects of that common grace is the fact that evil is restrained in this world. And a lot of that is through the government. Those are the two lessons that are really covered in the first half of Romans chapter 13. But I know the third lesson, which is what you really want. What if the government isn't doing what the government's supposed to do? In that case, are we in 1776 permitted to rebel against the government? That's what you really want to talk about. What you really want to talk about is if candidate A wins the election, whoever she is, (laughs) are we free to rebel against the government? Or if candidate B wins, whoever he might be, are we free to... That's what we're going to talk about. If you read the commentaries on this passage, it's fascinating Most of them cop out, okay? There's a great commentary put out by Dallas Theological Seminary. It's kind of concise, and I read it every week to make sure that I'm not falling off a cliff somewhere, okay? Our church's doctrinal statement is the doctrinal statement of Dallas Theological Seminary. That's who we are tied to, and I want to make sure that I'm not falling off the cliff, And that commentary on this passage talks about item one, what are your responsibilities as a citizen? Number two, what's the responsibility of the government? Let's go on to the next verse. Never dealing with what to do if the government is not doing its job. Are we ready? Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that, are, that exist have been instituted by him. What is the ultimate authority of all authorities? And that is God. Lesson number one, we are not anarchists. What is an anarchist? An anarchist is someone who believes All governments in and of themselves are wicked and evil, and we shouldn't have them. Years ago, a book club that I was in read a um, nonfiction work by Tolstoy. And uh, as Paul Johnson says about Tolstoy, every time you read one of his nonfiction works, you wish he had spent more time writing novels. Because he makes the argument that since all humanity is basically good... And if the government wasn't there, everything would be perfect. And it was interesting because one of the members of the group kind of got onto this. I mean, this is right. Every law is a restraint on our freedom. And I told him, if there were no government, you would not be at this meeting. 
because you wouldn't risk your life on the road. Let's say, just for discussion, that I went out to the highway and I removed all of the road signs, all the speed limit signs, I removed the barriers between the lanes, I removed the barriers between the two directions, and I said, have at it. It would be chaos. And don't even get started on the fact there wouldn't be a road in the first place. We have to have rules in order to protect our lives from chaos. We are not anarchists. Go ahead. It's already started. Chaos. <laughs> we, as fallen human beings, living in a world of fallen human beings, need authorities to direct, to promote justice, and to hinder those who would be unjust to those around us. Now, does that mean that it's done perfectly? No, never, ever, ever. Why? Because it's made up of fallible human beings just like you and me. We are not anarchists. God has appointed authorities in this world. Biblically, we talk about three institutions that God has instigated to help us thrive as human beings. We talk about the family. We talk about the church, and we talk about the government. The family is there to promote the raising of children, the nurturing of the next generation, the continuation of all of those aspects of life that I would argue really make life interesting. The church has the responsibility to share the gospel, to, con to use that gospel and spread it to the world, and to declare the word of God to the world, good and bad. Thus saith the Lord, here it is. The state has the obligation to restrain evil. That is its job and function. And if we had a more lengthy discussion we could have an interesting talk about when these three institutions start getting in each other's way. But in a good society, these three institutions support each other, acknowledge the importance of each other, and do not hinder the actions of each one. Now, there are plenty of examples in history, though, where that did not occur where the state moved in and tried to take over the responsibilities of the family, where the church was removed from society by the state. There are also times when this church has tried to wield the sword, which was, as we will see in a moment, the job of the state. And traditionally, that causes problems. But there are three institutions that God has instituted for the good of us. This passage really only deals with the institution of the government, the state. All authorities 
are appointed by God. Why, why at this point in the book of Romans do you think Paul even brings this up? I mean, we've just finished chapter 12 dealing with all these things of how to interact with people. We finished chapters 1 to 8 that dealt with the gospel message. Why in the middle of all of this would Paul bring this whole discussion up about government? Why would he do it? Well, it's an interesting phenomena. If um, you read the New Testament, there's verses that will lead you to believe, rightfully, by the way, that we are no longer citizens of this world, but rather our citizenship is elsewhere. Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I am a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Great, wonderful. Since I'm a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, I can tell the rest of the world to go to... No. There are those throughout history who have taken the idea that we are citizens of God's kingdom and they have taken that to mean, therefore, I can tell the world to go away. I don't have to pay my taxes. I don't have to obey the laws. I don't have to do what the government tells me to do. I can poke them in the eye anytime I want to. And there are people in this country today who believe that. There are people throughout history using the Christian message who believe that. And what Paul is going to tell us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is you, you as a Christian individual ought to be a model citizen. But I don't want to. What if candidate A gets elected? What if candidate B gets elected? What am I going to do? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Some translations of that will say submit. We don't like that word. We don't like it in any context. We don't like it when we're talking about husbands and wives. We don't like it when we're talking about children and parents, unless you're the parent. We don't like it when we're talking about submitting to religious leaders. We don't like it when we're talking about submitting to each other. And we certainly don't like it when we talk about submitting to the government. What does it mean to submit to the government? Come on, you're scared. Go ahead. Huh? Obey the rules. Do what they tell you to do. Now, I find it fascinating. You're dealing with a group of young people, and you... going through the lesson, and you say, children, obey your parents. And immediately, the moment you say that, a hand pops up. What if they tell me to run off a cliff? They're not going to tell you to run off a cliff. Hand pops up. What if they tell me to break the law of God? Don't do it. Oh, so you're telling me I don't have to obey my parents. No, I didn't say that at all. Oh, up comes the hand. What if they tell me to run off a cliff? 
What if they tell me to break the law? Then don't do it. Oh, you're telling me. And that's the loop we get into because what we think is that puts me in the driver's seat. I get to control when I do or don't do what the person in authority over me tells me to do. The world, the universe in which we exist is constructed by God with a structure to it. There is God. There is the government. And yes, in a moment we will talk about what if the government tells you to violate the word of God. And the answer is quite simple. You follow God, not men. Now, does that mean you're rejecting authority? No. It means you're acknowledging a higher authority. What we as fallen human beings rebel against is authority. We don't want to submit to anybody. And so when the government or the pastor or the parent tells us to do something that we don't want to do, we say, who are you to tell me what to do? Since I am a free and autonomous human being. And Satan told Eve, the day you eat of the fruit, you will be as God, knowing right and wrong. You will be the determiner of what is right and wrong. And God says no. God has appointed authority, and we are to submit. We are to be subject to that authority. Huh. You're squirming already. For there is no authority except from God. And up pops the hand. What about Adolf Hitler? What about Pol Pot? What about Nero? Wait a minute. When is Paul writing this? Paul is not writing this in a democracy. He is not writing it in a government that honors civil rights as we understand them today. He is living in a society that promotes slavery, that is dominating the known world, that is currently enslaving the Jewish people. That's the government that he's working in. And he says all authorities are given by God. Shall we have a show of hands to see how many people that bothers? <gasps> hmm, maybe we should keep reading. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have the, no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. 
For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers to God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Question number one. From this passage, not from anything else, from this passage... What are our obligations as citizens, as subjects under authority? Come on, this is easy. You don't want to say it. Honor them. Obey them. Respect them. I'm going to keep talking until somebody gets real mad at me and throws something at me. (laughs) Actually, we'll reach that point and we'll stop, and then you can brood all over it for a week. From this passage, what are the duties and obligations of the government? To do good? To collect taxes? It doesn't say that. (laughs) It doesn't say they're supposed to obey the law. Protection? To be a servant of God. Point number two. A bad government is better than no government. Do you believe that? We're tilting over the edge right there. The Roman Empire did lots of good things. The scripture tells us that in the fullness of time, Christ came. What was that fullness of time? Well, you can look at it kind of historically, okay, The Roman emperor called for a census to tax the people. That required the young Mary and Joseph to go to a particular town to have a particular child in that particular town at a particular point in history, which, by the way, fulfilled a prophecy that was back in Isaiah. God used that pagan government to fulfill his prophecy. Huh. Christ, at the end of his life, was crucified. That's a very cruel way of death. But it also happens to be a way of death that was described back in the Old Testament four, five hundred years before the event. And God used the Roman government to accomplish his purpose, to fulfill his prophecy. And, oh, yes, by the way... When the apostles and company were finally kicked out of Jerusalem and spread to all the known world, do you know what they walked on? Roman roads. Fabulous roads. And Paul himself, when he got in trouble, raised his hand and said, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. And you know what? All of a sudden there were rules that protected him 
that wouldn't apply to the average Joe on the street. God used the pagan Roman government to accomplish his purposes. Hmm. Remember, hmm, what's it been, a couple of months now? The previous sermon series, not the last one, but the one before, where we worked through the book of Nehemiah. Do you remember the book of Nehemiah? The Babylonians capture Jerusalem, carry them off. We get Daniel, we get Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, we get all of this stuff. They're living in as hostages in a pagan country. And Ezra and Nehemiah go, you know, Jerusalem's in trouble, and they petition the king, and the king says, go. Did they rebel against the king? No. Why? Because that would have gotten them killed rather quick. They petition the king and receive permission to return to rebuild Jerusalem. Wait a minute. Isn't this the same government that 70 years before sacked Jerusalem? Yes. Was that a good thing? Well, it was God's will. We know that it was God's will. The scripture tells us it was God's will because the nation of Israel had rebelled against God and God brought the Assyrians and the Babylonians in to bring them back to him. Question, does God use pagan governments to accomplish his will? And the answer is yes. In Scripture, it's very clear that it's yes. In Scripture, we have the advantage that we are told why things happen. But today, sometimes we don't know why. What does that mean? It means we have to have faith. God says, I have appointed the authorities. I have appointed the authority that exist. There are things for you as an individual to do and there are things that the government is supposed to do. When you don't do what you're supposed to do, we're actually told in this passage what happens. The state holds the sword. What does that mean? It means that it can punish evildoers. It can punish those who rebel against the word of God. Oops, I didn't say that. It punishes those who disobey. Huh. But what if the government's not doing what it's supposed to do? (sighs) There are very good, very respected theologians and pastors who argue a lot of different views on this passage. And I reread some of them this week. There is a pastor. He's very well known. I will not tell you his name. It would be too much fun. (laughs) Who says, this passage says, you are never to rebel against the government. But wait a minute. I've had three people in the last two months ask me, what about the American Revolution? And this pastor just says, the American Revolution was sin. God blessed us in spite of it. God allowed us to prosper in spite of it. But 
the revolution itself was a revolution against an authority that had been put in place by God, and therefore it was sin. I had this great desire to pass around pieces of paper and have people vote. Because I knew that if I had a show of hands, you'd all lie to me. That is one side of it. Let me tell you the other side of it, just to kind of get it out on the table. Governments are instituted by God to promote good and to promote justice. They are to honor those who do good. They are to punish those who do wickedness. It is rebooting. (laughs) That's their job. And if they do not fulfill their job, then the people have the opportunity to replace them. Now, The people who believe this side are very adamant. No, that does not mean you as an individual. That means the people collectively. That's why they point out in the the American Revolution, it was not individuals. It was representative bodies in the United States. It was authorities stepping in to fulfill the obligation that the Authority above them was refusing to do. And there is a whole series of thinking that gets you to the point that says, if the government is not doing it, another government can be set in place to do that which the current government refuses to accomplish. That's the argument. I have heard it even said that you know, the, the original colonies were founded as, um, well, under charters of the king. The king was responsible for them. At some point, Parliament stepped in and tried to govern the colonies. Well, the colonies were not under the Parliament. They were under the king. And since the king did not keep, protect the people from the Parliament, they had re Well, the king had revoked his authority, and so they were then free to form their own government. (sighs) Okay, what are you going to vote on? (laughs) You'll take that one because you really want to take that one. It's got to be the right answer, right? Isn't that what our minds are saying? Let's go back to the passage and read through it one more time. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Our default position, our default position should be to do what the government tells us to do. We are to be model citizens. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were model citizens. Wait a minute, they didn't bow down to the yes But the reason that that caused grief was because they had been model citizens and were useful to the society in which they lived. The society wanted them. That's when, 
Daniel did something wrong, the king reluctantly threw him into the lion's den because he knew Daniel was an asset to his society. He was an asset to the running of his government. He was doing good for the society in which he lived, even though that society was a pagan society. Hmm. Be subject. That should be your default position. What do I mean by that? There will come time when you have to say no, but that is only when the command of the government clearly violates the command of God. The apostles are called before the authorities and they are told you cannot preach. The apostles had been told by God to preach. God, authority. Government, authority, but authority under authority. Who were they going to obey? They were going to obey God. And they just asked the question, who should we obey, men or God? And they went out and preached because they were going to follow God, not men. Now, does that mean if we don't like a particular political policy that we can rebel against the government? No. We still don't like it. For there is no authority except from God. We acknowledge the fact that authority itself, I mean, let's just talk about this as an abstract concept. Authority is from God. We are not anarchists. We are not going to live in a world where no one tells you what to do. If there was a world that no one told you what to do, it would be chaos. I think I've used the example in here before of a commercial that I saw years ago. I distinctly remember this commercial. Come to our pizza place because in our pizza place there are no rules. Now, what they were talking about, you know, is if you want broccoli on your pizza, sure, if you want this. But the whole tagline was, in our pizza place there are no rules. So if I went to the table next to me and took a piece of their pizza and they said, you can't do that, and I said, why? There are no rules. Okay. Or if I wanted to walk out of the pizza place without paying for my pizza and they said, you can't do that, am I going to say, but there are no rules? Or what if I thought your daughter was very attractive and I wanted to take her because there are no rules? If there were no rules, you would never, ever, ever enter that pizza place unless you had large guns and good friends with large guns with you. You wouldn't do it. There is authority given by God for our good. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resist what God has appointed. What we have today, I believe, in our good old postmodern relativistic world that we live in is a rebellion against authority in general. Go ahead. But what happens when the authority is used for power? 
We've been talking about that, haven't we? I've been trying to skirt it. Her question is, what happens when the authorities disobey God's rules? Okay. Do you think the Roman government cared a lick about God's rules? Did Paul tell them to rebel against the Roman government? No. No. But <laughs> we're not there yet. <laughs> no. I'm stalling. I've got nine minutes left. And with one minute left, I'm going to get to that point. I, what can I say? That's the first time you've been told The question that she asks is, what if the government isn't following God's rules? And the first answer to that is, so what? You hate that answer, don't you? How many of you hate that answer? Go through history and find out how many governments followed the rules of God. How many of those governments that didn't follow the rules of God had believers who prospered in those countries? Bunches of them, actually. Hmm. God never told the people to rebel against the Roman government. Never told the people to rebel against the Assyrians or the Babylonians. In fact, the prophet tells them, pray for the peace of the city in which you live. And that was a pagan city. That wasn't Jerusalem. That was a city that was holding them captive. And they were to pray for the peace of that city. They were to plant gardens. They were to build houses. They were going to live there for a while. Get used to it. And we as individuals, we as individuals are called to practice what Romans chapter 12 tells us, to not return evil for evil, to take care of those who are our enemies. <gasps> oh, we don't like this at all. But let's skip ahead a little bit, since you're going to force me to do it anyway. <laughs> and we have seven minutes left to our situation today because we're actually in an interesting situation historically it's an anomaly okay it's a good anomaly and that is we live in a government whose authority derives from the vote of the people so my question is this today you're going to rebel against the authority what does that mean you're going to revolt. Uh, huh? We're going to get to that. <laughs> what does it mean? I mean, let's just throw some names out there and be right up front about it. Are you okay? Barack Obama is the duly elected president of these United States. You ready for this? As such, he is worthy of honor and respect. He, he, see, I'm getting you, I'm, I'm working him up. You can tell that, right? <laughs> he is worthy of honor and respect. What does that mean? If he walked through that door, I would stand up 
out of respect, I would address him as Mr. President. I would be polite. But you don't like that. Question. Even if I acknowledge that Barack Obama is the duly elected President of the United States, I acknowledge the fact that our government, the sovereign power that elected him was us, the people. So if I rebel against the duly elected president, I am rebelling against the fact that people elected him the president. I am not showing honor to them. And you know there are verses that talk about us giving honor to everyone. You're cringing, aren't you? You don't like this at all. Why? I'll tell you why. You've listened to too much talk radio. (laughs) You've listened to too much partisan discussion of the issues that has nothing to do with the issues but has to do with the personalities involved. I'm getting ready to pull the pin on the grenade and I'm going to let it loose and then we're going to adjourn. What does the Bible say we are supposed to do for those in authority over us? Number one, we're to pray for them. Question. Do not raise your hand because you'll lie to me. How many of you have spent more time praying for Barack Obama than you have complaining about Barack Obama? (laughs) Just an observation. Just an observation. We are to honor those in authority over us. Question. If your children or your grandchildren listen to your conversation, would they, in the remotest sense, think that you honor Barack Obama as President of the United States? We are to pray for them. We are to give them honor. We are to pay our taxes. How many of you in April, what is it, the 15th? I think this year it was the 16th or 17th. Complain and complain and complain about your taxes. You should do a little reading about the world today. There are countries that don't collect taxes. They're called (laughs) non-states. And they're chaotic and you wouldn't want to live there. Now, we, by the blessing of God and that reason alone, are in a country that allows us to participate in our government. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to do what God has allowed us to do. You see, I can give honor to Barack Obama without having to vote for him or without having to agree with his policies. I'm just not allowed to, well, show dishonor. And I've had this argument at work. You know, why can't I lie about certain issues? The other side does, and I say, because you're a Christian and you can't do that. The cover story in this week's Economist magazine, 
is the fact that we live in a post-truth era. Truth has become irrelevant. We are to participate in the government to the full extent that we, by God, have been allowed. That means what? Vote. I have right here a stack of voters' registration cards. It's not too late. It's not too late to register for the election. Now, hmm? they were given to me. (laughs) We are to pray for those in office. Now, I will give you a hint. You can go vote in the first week of November, but you may not like any of the, well, any of the candidates on the list. What does that mean? That means that you didn't get involved nine months ago or two years ago or five years ago when this chain of events was building up. We, as citizens of a nation that allows us to vote, should understand the purposes of government so that we can help guide the, the, the state in the direction that we wanted to go. But that's hard, yes. It's being involved. Now, we're going to stop because we're out of time. We will continue this maybe next week. Hopefully you will have all forgotten about it and I'll be able to go on to the next verse. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. We love that, don't we? Because it's so, okay. Then honor and obey the position. I'll go for that. Right. But he is the president. He is the president. Her, her, her question is, don't we talk about honoring the position, not necessarily the person in the position? And that's true. That is a true statement. You know, you drive in your car out to the military base out there, and you're a child, and your dad is a three-star general, and your car has three stars on the front of it, those guys at the gate are going to salute because that car has three stars on it. They're saluting the position. I agree with that. That's totally true. But remember, huh? Yeah. But remember, we pray for the people and we're told to pray for the people. So what am I going to tell you to do? Vote. Use every legal means that God and the government and the society in which we live have given you. But remember, we're not anarchists. We live in a society that believes authority itself is not right. But authority has been given by God. We as sinful human beings can exercise it well. We as sinful human beings can exercise it really bad. And we can deal with the really bad But remember, we're not going back to anarchy. God has appointed authority. (gasps) I better shut up. Let's close in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us authorities in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to show honor and respect to those in authority, those in our families, those in our churches, and those in our government. I pray, Lord, for our country. I pray, Lord, that our leaders would acknowledge the responsibility to promote justice and to punish wickedness and to honor good. I pray, Lord, that we would be involved in the power and strength that you have given us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.